Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the second day of the week, first day after a holiday, Memorial Day. I hope you and your family had a great time together as we, across the nation, we remembered those two and all the wars that it took to get us free, and since then to keep us free, all those people that gave their lives. We're so sorry that they had to die, but we are really, really proud of the fact that there were and are Americans today who are willing to step up and put their lives on the line to protect freedom that many Americans just simply take for granted. Well, let me say this about our show today. We got so many things to dig into. Folks, it just seems like uh, our leaders have their hair on fire. They're just running around in circles. And the stuff that they're saying... Oh my goodness, the President of the United States has just lost his mind talking about gun control. That's the top of the story, the top of the day in this show, because this President is making it very obvious that he doesn't give a rip about the Constitution or the rule of law, except for those things that align with what he believes. If he doesn't believe something in the Constitution, and remember, he's an attorney, But if he didn't agree with something in the Constitution just because he, the President of the United States, doesn't agree means that it's got to be wrong. There's something wrong with it. And he's not the only one out there. Many on the left, and sadly, a number of Republicans feel that same way too regarding gun control especially. But what about abortion? Oh my gosh, we have this my body, my choice thing that rules the world when it comes to what they call women's health care, basically what it is, is killing a child arbitrarily. Killing a child, that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're the one that is making the decision to do it. Forget about the law. Forget about God's law. Forget about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. I'm going nuts when I hear and read these things that our leaders are saying. And it's not just here. We've got a story this morning about Canada, gun control, (laughs) and it's happening all around the world. Forget about that Second Amendment thing they're telling us. Just simply forget about it. Well, let me just tell you, I'm going to give you a little hint, foreshadowing what's going to happen at the end of the show today. I'm going to tell you exactly what needs to happen to stop our gun problems. Now, remember this. We, last week, were, as far as I know, the first people that brought the plan of the nation of Israel that they implemented in 1974 to stop the horrible mass gun shootings that were happening in their schools. And it's worked incredibly well over the last 48 years. Nobody in the United States took a clue from that. We wrote the story. 
We published it. We shared it here on TNN Live. And guess what? The next day, three major news networks, they will never tell you they picked up on a story from Truth News Network, but they reported the same thing about Israel and the roadmap on how to keep our schools safe. And it doesn't take bazillions of dollars to do. There's a lot of one-time costs to get set up. But remember, this governor government passed out billions of dollars to schools around the nation and to teachers' unions to get our school facilities safe. You know, we got to get away from this COVID-19 thing. Our kids are getting exposed to the evil disease, and we've got to protect them. And so we have to upgrade all the infrastructure at these schools, everything that has to do with air. You remember that? Do you know they won't tell us, but we know this, a scant percentage of that money the government paid to these schools, and they paid it through the school organizations at the state level. Very little of that ended up doing what it was earmarked to do when it got there. That shouldn't surprise you. That happens very often in this world, doesn't it? Money, the love of money is the root of all evil. I've been maintaining, I've been blowing my lid off over and over and over and over good about the gun problem we have in America, which is not a gun problem. It's a people problem. And the thing that blows my mind the worst is instead of tackling a really difficult problem, going to its source, getting with experts, and finding ways that will work to help us cut this gun problem, this shooting problem down, instead of doing that, they just blow it off. The only right, they'll support anything that will maybe take care of the gun mass shooting problem is if it's good for their political perspective. If it'll give them votes, that's all that matters. Anything short of that, ah, we can't do that. If they can't ramp up people's emotions to go against guns, not about the people that use those guns to kill people. Oh, no, we can't go there. Ooh, we can't do that. And certainly, we can't even get into the one thing that must happen before our mass shooting and our shooting in period. It doesn't have to be mass shooting. Look at what happened in Chicago this weekend. 21 people were shot Friday into Sunday morning in Chicago. Four of those shooting victims died. Ah, that's just a... Another typical long weekend for Chicago, isn't it? And I'm joking about that, but it's not a joke. People died. Other people got shot. And it happens nearly every weekend in Chicago. There's a lot of irony in that and what happened in Chicago and happens most other weekends. What's the irony? They have some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. You heard me. They have, Chicago has some of the most restrict gun laws in the nation. And so when they report, when all of these shootings take place, 46 people shot, 10 of them fatally. Wow. We hear about that. 46 people, what gun were they shot with? What was the brand name of the gun? What was the caliber of the gun? And where did that gun come from? You know what? 
I bet I'm about to say something I bet most of you have not thought yet. We hear all about when they report the statistics of gun shooting of every kind of imaginable sector or whatever percentage of this. This percentage was doing this and this is the percentage of this. We hear all that broken down. Why don't they give us the numbers? For instance, these 46 people were shot. I'm sure the police have recovered some of those guns. Where did the guns come from? And I've said this this week and last week. I guarantee you not a single gun came from Dick's Sporting Goods. Not a single gun was bought legally and was used to kill those 46 or shoot those 46 people in Chicago. Maybe it originally was done the right way. Somebody went and legally bought those guns at Dick's Sporting Goods or some other store, and they went through the background check. ATF has to look at your application and check you out real quick and then notify Dick's Sporting Goods, you're okay or you're not okay. Then you get to buy the gun. But someone probably bought those guns initially, and then they were either sold privately or were stolen. Or, this is going on in great numbers, folks, illegal guns are coming across our border and being sold by the cartels to gangs in the United States, many of which came across the southern border. They won't give us those numbers. I've asked and asked. I've even made a phone call to the FBI. I have a close friend in the FBI and asked, and he ran it up the flagpole. No response. How many of the 46 people were shot with illegal guns? That's one thing that needs to be ferreted out and addressed before we start talking about more new laws to control guns, to go with the dozens and dozens of gun control laws that are already on the books that aren't being enforced. Mayor Lightfoot, this is Dan Newman down in Chicago. I know I'm one of those evil Southerners and I'm a skinhead, I'm bald. I wear an earring in my left ear. Looks like a motorcycle gang member. Well, I'm a motorcycle guy, but I've never been in a gang. And just because I'm bald doesn't mean I'm a skinhead. It means my hair stopped growing. But let me ask you this, Mr. Mayor, Ms. Mayor, Mayor Lightfoot. That's the politically correct way to address the mayor of Chicago. Why don't you have your people in your law enforcement operation across Chicago? Why don't you have them to begin to enforce every violation of every gun law in your city every time there is one? And then make sure your legal authorities, when it goes to the court system in Chicago, Dade County, why don't you make sure they do the same thing? Enforce the laws enforce the laws. And then I'll address members of Congress, and we have some that come on this show. We have many that have people in their offices that listen to us. Anybody, any one of you that work for any member of Congress, or for that matter, any department that is involved in any of this in the federal government, may be an appointed person or hired in a department, of a cabinet department of the president. 
come on the show and let's have a logical conversation about what it will take to make America safe. Right now, whoever runs for president in 2024, they need to begin planning their platform in a huge plank of their platform. If they want to win and become president of the United States, either right after Joe Biden or replacing Joe Biden, you need to give the Americans a way, a plan, a logical bit of uh, proof that your plan would work to stop the violence. And let me say this. I'll tell you factually, any plan that will be effective to do that has got to include enforcing the laws that are broken by these people. Hold them accountable. And it doesn't matter if the jails are full. It doesn't matter at all. Those are people that have broken logs, uh, laws and are being prosecuted and held liable for what they did. Just because there's too many, in your opinions, doesn't mean you have the authority to ignore the existing law-breaking. You don't. And if you want the American people to support you in whatever you're going to do, first, support the rule of law. Let's talk about that just for a second as it applies to the same situation at our southern border. We all know that... Most of the people in large numbers, I would say 99%, maybe even more than that, that come across that border, we have no clue who they are, where they came from, what they did or what they didn't do, what they're bringing with them, what's their involvement in law-breaking in their home countries, and many of them have been here before, broke laws, and got shipped back. Until we know all of that and do one thing, I don't think we should give anybody in government another dollar until one thing happens. Stop the crime. Enforce the law. What does that mean? It's illegal for you, Mr. President. It's illegal for you, Secretary Mayorkas. It's illegal for everybody in government to ignore the law, the federal immigration laws, allowing and even encouraging people to come across our southern border illegally. You're violating, you're suborning criminal activity by allowing it to happen. And you all promised us, every one of you, you promised us that you were going to enforce the laws of the land. And those that ran for state and local offices, you were going to do supporting the law of the land And that includes supporting the laws of your state, if you're governor, mayor, council member. You're committed to enforce the law to protect the people. If you, any government person, any government entity, if you don't protect first the people of America, you're not doing what must be done to keep this nation safe. Wow. I would say my hair's on fire, but it isn't. And I can't say that for obvious reasons, right? 46 people shot, 10 of them fatally. That's unconscionable for it to happen. But there are so many other unconscionable things going on regarding gun violence. Let's wade right into it. Our president yesterday My gosh, 
He was up there in the clouds just making all kinds of statements. He made a statement, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to let you listen to him say it. In fact, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut up and let you listen to him uh, before we get into it. Now, he's outside the White House. He's about to get on the helicopter. So the helicopter, you know, the blades are going. There's a lot of background noise. But I want you to listen to what our president said regarding several weapons that have been used for dozens and dozens, 50, 60, 70, 100 years in this nation, owned privately as well as in the military, and of course used in many cases to commit law-breaking. So you're going to have to turn your ears up and the background down just a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, President Joe Biden. Look, again, it's hard to make this up. Trauma Hospital in New York, whatever the largest trauma hospital is. And I sat with a trauma doc. And I asked him, I said, what's the difference? Why are so many people, not, not that many more people are being shot. This is not 20 years ago, it was 25 years ago. I said, why are they dying? And they showed me a, 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 a x-ray. He said, a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung. And we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it, and save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is that there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of what this is about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just, and remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. And those who, not many are saying anymore, but there was a while there where people were saying that, you know, the fear of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, and what we have to do is have to be able to take on the government when they're wrong. Well, to do that, you need an F-15, you know? You need a Abrams tank. I mean, so it's just... I think things things have gotten so bad that everybody's getting more rational. At least that's my hope and prayer. I think things have gotten so bad that everybody is just going crazy. The President of the United States, two things in what he said there I want to address specifically, and I'm going to bring somebody that's a constitutional law expert to clear it up. That's Jonathan Turley. But the first thing, the very first thing he said that I I just couldn't believe he would say that. He obviously doesn't know anything about guns and shooting and bullets and what each of them can do. And he's speaking to a nation that well over 100 million people know a whole lot more about this than the president. And when he does these things, and he does it all the time, he doesn't have to. He's the president of the United States. He says such stupid things that make him look really stupid. He said, you heard him, the 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lungs and we can get it out, Biden said. Actually, he said he was told we can get it out by a doctor. And the doctor said most of the time. But then Joe had to double down on his intelligence about firearms. Nine millimeter bullet he said, 
blows the lung out of the body. That, listen closely, I'm going to be real informational, truthfully informational. That is absolute lunacy, both of them. A 22 caliber bullet, if you shoot someone in the body, it is almost impossible for it to get to the lungs. 22 caliber bullet is pretty much the smallest bullet that is used and it's very seldom ever used in hunting and hardly ever in a handgun in which somebody's going to get shot because it is so uh, apt to not do what he said it was going to do. But that's not the bad part of this. Quote the president, a nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can tell you this. There's never been a body lungs of a body blown out of anybody that got shot with a nine millimeter bullet. If you put a nine millimeter gun directly up in front and against somebody's chest wall and shot it, it ain't going to blow the lungs anywhere. It'll go right through the lungs. Nine millimeter bullets are not designed to explode. And there, you know, I'm sure there are some military size weapons that could shoot something that blows the lung out of the body. This guy is stupid. There, I said it. And yes, I pray for him every day. I promise you I do. I did this morning. But I can tell you what, I'm at the point now, remember I told you when President Trump was elected and he was he was so controversial, and he still is, but he was so controversial principally because after he was elect, elected, he came, he was the president. Everybody thought he was going to tone his rhetoric down and be nice and all those kinds of things, and he, he didn't. I mean, he would call a spade a spade. He was, he was out there as a truth man. He was telling everybody exactly what's up and what his opinion on everything is. And so my brother wanted me to see if I could send a letter to him requesting, showing full support for what you were doing, pray for you every day, glad you're the president, voted for you, all those kinds of things. But you're alienating in the letter, and I'm I'm just doing a summary version of what the letter said. You're alienating a lot of people who can't relate to your messaging. Would you consider toning it down a bit to not hack off people that you don't need to? Never heard from him. I do know Ivanka got the letter. I sent it I sent it on a return receipt. Sent it to her, obviously, hoping she could get it to her dad. And she may have. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because he didn't change his, his rhetoric, did he? Maybe Biden needs to uh, change his a little bit. Well, change to what, Dan? Start telling the truth. <laughs> Instead of making yourself look stupid by saying things that you don't have to say, somebody on your staff can give you accurate information. This is not the first time he said a nine millimeter bullet will blow the lungs out of the body. The first time he said that, somebody sort of got in front of him and said, Mr. Biden, and it may have even began when he was vice president, maybe even when he was a gun expert as a U.S. senator, 
a self-appointed expert on guns, and should have said, Mr. Biden, a 9 millimeter bullet won't blow the lung out of the body, and a high-caliber weapon is not a 22 or a 9 millimeter. I promise you, sir, you need to get that out of your jargon when you're talking about gun control. Now, what? what there's another... There's another gun lie. You know, the Second Amendment, when it was passed, it didn't mean the same thing then that it means now. And you couldn't buy a tank. So, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen in the future. They didn't know, so none of that applies to us now. Well, legal constitutional law expert Jonathan Turley He called the president out for spreading disinformation by repeating a clearly false statement about the Second Amendment. Now, Jonathan Turley is a George Washington University Law School professor. He reacted to comments Biden had made on his return from Uvalde, Texas over the weekend. And his reaction was, um, oh my gosh, he's a very nice guy as Jonathan Turley, I like him a lot. He's always kind. He said there's a real chilling effect on people talking about the facts of gun control. You know, people want to suggest that you can simply legislate away gun violence. That's not going to happen, Turley said. There's 400 million weapons in this country, 15 million of which are estimated to be AR-15s. But it also is a fact that when we banned assault weapons for that earlier period, there was not an appreciable decrease in gun violence associated with it. So we can have what the president calls a common sense discussion, but we need to be able to deal with it on a factual rather than purely rhetorical way. He added this, got to start with the president. Turley blasted Biden's comments that the Second Amendment was never absolute and for telling reporters that one simply couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was passed. Turley said today he repeated a clearly false statement about the Second Amendment. Many of us have repeatedly said that a statement that you could not own a cannon or other weapons when the Second Amendment was ratified, it's untrue. Even the Washington Post admitted it's untrue, and yet the president keeps on repeating that as defense for his call for gun control. He's undermining his own case by repeating what is, ironically, disinformation. Professor Turley's being kind. It's not disinformation in reality. It's a bald-faced lie. As he got back to the White House after the weekend trip to Uvalde, Biden spoke about being motivated to push gun control. Here's the president again. Quote, I've been pretty motivated all along, and he's talking to reporters before remarking about the palpable pain the Uvalde community is feeling and how he has not been negotiating with any of the Republicans yet, and I deliberately did not engage in a debate about that with any Republican while I was in Texas. I know that it makes no sense to be able to purchase something that can fire up to 300 rounds. Biden continued, 300 rounds. Now, let me stop there and tell you this. I've got an AR-15. 
and I have several magazines that hold 15 shells. But I also have what's called the drum, and it holds 50 shells. I don't know of any kind of attachment for an AR-15 that holds 300 rounds. In fact, I don't know one that holds more than 50. I may be wrong, but I know a lot about guns. I'm from South Louisiana. I grew up with a gun in my hand, hunting. I never hunted a human being. (laughs) But if you listen to anybody in this administration, you got to believe there's somebody hiding in the woods behind your house trying to shoot you. And I'm not diminishing the horrors of the reality of what we are experiencing. And my heart goes out and I've prayed for the family members of those 21 people shot and killed. That's an atrocity never seen before at this level. And I, and I hate that. But it wasn't a gun that killed those people. It was a deranged, mentally deranged and mentally ill young man. Nobody's talking about that. Biden had previously made that same declaration about the cannon at the same time the Second Amendment was ratified and his claim that the Second Amendment is not absolute. There were no federal laws barring cannon ownership when the Second Amendment was enacted. Gun laws remain local matters. And I don't know of any bans on cannons or other gun types till much later in our history. Early local laws did control concealed weapons, though concealed cannons were not part of those ordinances. As with the failure to acknowledge the limitations on the range of legislative options because of the Second Amendment protections, Biden is undermining efforts to reach common ground with this repeated false claim. If we're going to reach what the president calls common sense responses to this and other massacres, we must start from a common understanding of the constitutional and historical foundations for such reforms. I got to be honest with you, unless and until this president, his administration, members of Congress come together and be reasonable and look at all of the cases regarding the Second Amendment that have come before the Supreme Court and how the Supreme Court ruled on those and craft laws that are within the parameters that have been determined by the ultimate court in the nation, this is what it takes to pass any legislation that will stand on gun control. Nobody's done that. Or if they have, they hadn't crafted the law and put it in place. But i got to be honest with you, even if they come up with something like that, that's not going to stop illegal gun crimes. In fact, what it's going to do, if if they in any way prohibit gun ownership, if they start seizing guns or putting a moratorium and they start picking particular gun types, you know, those assault weapons, weapons of mass destruction, they come up with names to ramp it up more egregious every time, right? Why? Because nobody's listening to them about the lesser sounding egregious terms. It's nothing about facts, folks. It is nothing about facts. If it was about facts, they would say, I'm the president of the United States, 
And here's what we're going to do. We're going to move into a zone where we aren't allowing people to ad nauseum kill other people with guns. We're going to create an environment that, first of all, holds every person that has their hands on an illegal gun, hold them accountable for even having that gun. Secondly, we're going to make sure that everybody knows we've got a plethora of federal gun laws out there, and anybody and everybody that breaks any of these laws, you will stand before a judge and a jury and you will be accountable to the fullest extent of existing laws, period. We're not going to back down. We're not going to cut deals anymore. And you know what, folks? Unless something like that happens and they start doing it, Nike's slogan, just do it. Unless and until they start just doing it, we're not going to stop a single shooting incident. In fact, by reporting them and keeping them out there in front of every crazy nut job and deranged individual that's ever thought about perpetrating a mass shooting, sees them now all the time and they're glorified. Unless they stop all this and do it by using logic and using the law that's already passed. There are plenty of laws on the books to take care of this. They're not going to enforce any new laws. They don't enforce the ones that are on the books right now. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing. But hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into. Like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's taco and burrito cravings pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. 
Hey, um, we're going to launch right into something here, uh, and it has to do with President Biden. But before we do that, I want to finish by telling you, and it's, it's, it's a couple of last little notes about the gun control, the gun violence thing, and whatever they're going to do. Up in Canada, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced yesterday his government is introducing legislation, listen to this, to implement national freezes on handgun ownership throughout the country. What this means, he said, is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. We recognize that the vast majority of gun owners use them safely and in accordance with the law. But other than using firearms for sport shooting and hunting, there's no reason anyone in Canada should need guns in their everyday lives. So the Minister of Public Safety, Marco Mendocino, also said that a mandatory buyback program for assault-style weapons will go into effect later this year if the bill passes, calling it Canada's most significant action on gun violence in a generation. The first AR-15s and other assault-style firearms will start to be bought back by the end of this year, Mendocino said. it. It's going to be hard, but we're going to get it done. About 55,000 new handguns have been registered annually in Canada over the last decade. Canadian legislation will also create new red flag laws that will allow courts to remove guns and suspend licenses for people who pose a threat to themselves or others. Magazines that hold more than five rounds will also be banned under the new laws. Now, we don't hear much about gun violence up there, but they have it. The deadliest mass shooting in Canada's history occurred about two years ago when a gunman opened fire around parts of Nova Scotia, killing 22 people. So, again, this government insanity, political insanity, Australia did the gun back thing. They've done it twice. And the only people that come in and bring their guns back are those that hold them legally. None of the criminals come. And so the criminals, oh my gosh, they can't wait for this to happen because they're going to be able to walk into houses that used to have guns that will no longer have guns. So let me ask the prime minister and President Biden the same question. In the United States, and I'm not sure about in Canada, in the United States last year, the year before, the year before that, there were more murders with hammers than there were by guns. (laughs) Did you hear that? How, oh how, can you reconcile what you're wanting to do? You're foaming to get it done. Take the guns out of the hands of the people. And why, oh why, do you want to do it? You won't stop murders. You won't stop homicides. I mean, let me let me just be blunt about it. Joe Biden, on decisions that he's made already, 13 people died. Because of one thing that he did, 13 people died, 13 military members in Afghanistan 
When he orchestrated, Joe Biden orchestrated and pulled the plug on our presence in Afghanistan, he left 80 plus billion dollars of military equipment in Bagram Air Base. Remember that? The explosives that were left there were used to craft the suicide bomb that was worn at the gate of the airport. You remember the explosion and those people died and 60 Afghan people died? That was all on Joe Biden. Every bit of it was on Joe Biden. And by the way, we still have hundreds of Americans hung behind enemy lines in Afghanistan and Joe Biden's State Department's not getting them out. Just thought I'd throw that in. It's not about saving people. It's about taking guns out of people's hands. Now, gun control may have had a political chance in the wake of Uvalde, Texas, but Democrats ended the prospect of any major changes. Remember this? They backed Black Lives Matter and defund the police in the riotous summer of 2020. Everybody thinks, well, everybody in the Democrat Party thinks we don't remember what they did or didn't do. The spectacle of mobs rampaging through our cities. All the while, cops were demonized and told to stand down. That convinced millions of ordinary people that unless they owned a firearm, they would not be able to defend their businesses and families. You know why? Because government's not doing it. Moreover, many Democrats backed calls to cut the funding to police or to abolish them entirely. The pushback for moderate Democrats was weak as cities like L.A. cut $150 million, more than 10% of the police budget. And of course, the reaction to that was crime just went through the roof. In addition, Democrats in the media demonized every ordinary citizen who dared to defend themselves. Remember Kyle Rittenhouse. He used an AR-15-style rifle to protect himself against a mob of rioters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You remember what then-candidate Joe Biden said about him? Joe Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist, a white supremacist, a false claim that Biden was unwilling to retract when it was taken apart during Rittenhouse's trial last year when he was acquitted of killing two rioters and injuring a third during the melee. Now, that doesn't mean nothing's going to pass Congress. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has urged his caucus to consider a bipartisan compromise. There is broad public support for red flag laws which allow law enforcement to confiscate temporarily the weapons of an individual who's identified as a potential threat to themselves or to other people. Now that sounds pretty benign, doesn't it? Oh, they'll just, you know, they'll just make sure that people that are acting crazy that have guns don't use those guns. And so we're going to go get them. Let me give you a picture of something that has already happened. A new family moves into a neighborhood. They live next door to a gun owner. And as sometimes happens when neighbors move into your neighborhood, they're new, you don't know them. When you get to know them, they may not be you know, kind of the kind of people you want living next door to you. You know what I mean? 
And let me give you an example. Family moves in next door to a, a large family. And the large family, they're very outdoorsy. They have guns. They meet these people. They decide to have them over for dinner, and they talk all about things that they do. And the new people that moved in, they're kind of quiet through it. They didn't ever get into the conversations about going camping and you know, going shooting guns and going deer hunting or anything like that. Obviously, they're not into that. And the topic came up about the guns that were in the house. And so the father, he went up to the gun safe and he pulled out a few weapons and showed this other father what he had. And so it ended not, you know, like, hey, we're going to be buddies and have each other over for dinner. Everything was very, it was terse. It was okay, but it was kind of terse. You could feel that it just didn't flow well. At one o'clock in the morning on the next Sunday morning, the front door of their home was broken down by the ATF who stormed in, didn't have a warrant. They stormed in. And when they did, the father of the house, he just knew somebody just broke into his house and they were armed. He grabbed a gun to defend his family. And when the ATF agents, SWAT agents, saw him with a gun pointing at them to defend him and his family, they shot and killed him. His oldest son did the same thing almost simultaneously. He was shot and killed. What happened? That new neighbor that moved in, they reached out to local law enforcement and said they were threatened by the neighbors next door that had guns out the wazoo and they were dangerous. They were scared to live next door to them because these people were obviously not the kind of people that are going to be real good, lawful neighbors. That's what came from a red flag law. Just saying. That's what the red flag thing that even a Republican, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, he's the number one Republican in the United States Senate, and he calls getting together when they're screaming about gun control, gun control, and throw them a bone to kind of shut them up. This will go along with maybe a red flag law. Joe Rogan, you know who he is. Yesterday, he responded to this talk of gun bans. He stressed banning guns it means only criminals are going to be armed. He referenced the Uvalde shooting and other like it. It's like, how do you stop that? He said, no one knows how to stop that. What is the answer? Is the answer to take everybody's guns? Well, they're not going to give their guns up. Only criminals are going to have guns. This country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. That's what he said. He also expressed concern over gun bans from a different angle, explaining that a disarmed population necessarily gives all the power to the ruling class in D.C. I don't think it's wise to take all the guns away from people and give all the power to the government. We see how they are with an armed populace. They still have a tendency towards totalitarianism, and the more increased power and control you have over people, the easier it is for them to do what they do 
And it's a natural inclination when you're a person in power to try to hold more power and acquire even more power. Freedom lost or rarely regained. Oh my gosh. I gotta be, I don't wanna blow your mind. I don't wanna make you feel down. But I'm gonna say this, and I honestly believe this. We are nowhere near getting any kind of sense of safety in our nation. We leave our southern border wide open every day. Thousands of people are coming across our border. We catch a few, but we don't know who the others are. And even those we catch, we don't know what they've done in their lives. Some of them you can get a background investigation on, but Alejandro Mayorkas, the people at his border patrol, they're seldom even doing background checks. And how do you do a background check on somebody that comes across and you don't even know they're there? That's number one. Number two is, Some places today, places like New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, when somebody has an involvement in a criminal act that has guns involved in it, they may arrest you and hold you for a bit, but they're not going to put you in jail. And the word of that gets around. So you have criminals out there, habitual criminals, that become frequent flyers. They know they're not going to get in big trouble. They may be arrested and spend a few weeks in jail. When governments don't enforce the laws that they pass, why should anybody obey those laws? And guess what? They're not. Speaking of Joe Biden, I've got a story next regarding Biden corruption You don't want to miss this. It's very detailed. That's next at TNN Live. Don't go anywhere. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity. Our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, 
grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. Hey, before we get to the Biden family syndicate and the latest revelations there, and they are just mounting up, there's a huge mountain of evidence regarding this, and it just keeps getting taller and taller and taller. Before we get to that, while we're talking about gun problems and gun gun issues, Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, he's a hunter. It's Arkansas, they hunt there. And uh, the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms Division of the Government, under President Biden, there's a director spot out there. People are interviewing for that. And Senator Cotton asked the latest appointee that uh, Joe Biden sent to the Senate for confirmation to be the head of the ATF about what a assault rifle really is. You're going to get a chuckle out of this. This guy can tap dance better than any I've ever heard. Mr. Dettelbach, in your 2018 campaign for attorney general, you called for a ban on so-called assault weapons. What is an assault weapon? Could you define it for me? Senator, I, uh, uh, when I was a candidate for office, I did, uh, talk about restrictions on assault weapons. I did not define the term, and I haven't gone through the process of defining that term. That would only be for the Congress if it chose to take that up uh, to do. And if you chose to take it up, I would uh, be at the ATF, and there is perhaps expertise or data we could give you so that you could make the appropriate decision to both uh, protect the public and protect the Second Amendment. So, so you're running for public office, and you called for a ban on assault weapons, but you don't have a definition for assault weapons? Senator, uh, it would only be for a legislative body, whether it was the Ohio legislature or the Congress, it would only be for a legislative body to do that work. And I acknowledge that would be a difficult task to define assault weapons because on one hand, you don't want it to be so narrow that it, it doesn't offer the protections that are intended. And on the other hand, you certainly don't want it to be so broad so that it infringes unnecessarily on the rights of citizens. So. I acknowledge that's a difficult task, but it would be for this body to do, not for me. Why, why is it so hard to define assault weapons? Well, I, I think, Senator, what I, what I told you, which is that it is, you don't, you don't want it to be so narrow as to be meaningless, and you don't want it to be so broad as to uh, infringe on the rights of law-abiding Americans unnecessarily. Congress took an effort at that uh, definition in 1994. Uh, what did you think of that definition that Congress used? I don't know enough about that. That's a definition that I'm not particularly familiar with, and I haven't studied the data on how on that particular definition. I've heard comments on both sides of that, Senator. I, I acknowledge that's a very difficult issue. I, it, that is for this body to decide. Is it, is it because that there's really not a category of weapons known as assault weapons? I mean, there's rifles, there's shotguns, there's pistols. Can you go into a federally licensed firearm dealer and find a category of weapons labeled on the wall as assault weapons? I, I don't believe that's a category of, of weapons that's labeled on the wall of uh, 
retailers. Uh, it's not necessarily what retailers call it that would affect the decision of, of a legislative body, but no answer to your question. It's what politicians and lawyers in Washington call it. Well, it would, Senator, uh, for me, it would be what elected legislators who are charged with having these discussions and debates would choose or not choose to call it. Okay. I think it's very telling that you're nominated to lead the ATF and, and you don't have a definition of assault weapon. And the point is that there is really no such thing as a category of weapons known as assault weapons. There are rifles, there are shotguns, there are pistols, they have properties, they have features, um, but there is no such thing as a category of assault weapons. Um, I, I want to turn to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, in 2017, you called for treating as terrorist groups uh, organizations that have been labeled as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center, P Southern Poverty Law Center, which itself um, is a corrupt slush fund for liberal causes with its own very troubled history of racist and sexist record. Um, you said in that op-ed that we should pass new laws to label those groups as terrorists and, quote, disrupt them. Um, one such group that the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled as a hate group, which you therefore said you would treat as a terrorist group, is the Family Research Council. Do you believe that the Family Research Council is a hate group and should be treated as terrorists? Uh, Senator, um, uh, I think in the article that you're referring to, Senator, I, I, talked to, I, I cited uh, a number of hate groups, the number that the Southern Poverty Law Center said existed in Ohio. And uh, Senator, I... I do not, there were about 33 of them. I don't believe that I have no, um, I'm not a member of that group, I, 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 and I'm not associated in, in, with that group. Uh, but it would be obviously not for a private group to define what a terrorist organization was. I was making the point that there are domestic terrorism organizations that espouse violence. The key is groups that espouse violence, um, and that we ought to... Uh, treat those domestic terrorism organizations that espouse violence the same way or using some of the same models as I was using on Al-Qaeda when I did Al-Qaeda cases, Hezbollah cases, because the key is violence, right? That's, that's so the, the, but the Southern know. Poverty Law Center calls groups like the Family Research Council a hate group, and you said you wanted to treat them like a terrorist group. What about another one is the Alliance Defending Freedom. Do you think the Sir, Alliance I, Defending Freedom should be treated like Al-Qaeda? Sir, I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with either of those groups, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't categorize familiar, them. But you're familiar with the Southern Poverty Law Center, right? I, I'm familiar with the group generally. Yes, I am, sir. But I'm Are not you familiar with its troubled history of racism and sexism. Sir, I'm not deeply familiar with them. Okay. I know I know something about the group, but I, I'm not familiar with the things that you may be referring. Okay. Should, to, should you be confirmed, I encourage you to familiarize yourself with the Southern Poverty Law Center before you ever cite them, and certainly before you rely on them using federal power. Have you noticed when we listen to the nominees, pretty much in every office that the president wants to put somebody in, when they come before whatever appropriate committee they have to come before in the U.S. Senate to get confirmed, when they're asked very pointed specific questions related directly to the jobs they want to serve in, they deflect. Sir, I'm not familiar. Sir, I don't, I don't have that understanding. I, I, I've heard about it, but I don't know the details. Or I haven't examined the data that supported what that. And this is his bailiwick. He wants to serve as the head of the ATF. So he would, you think, 
before he came before a confirmation committee, you would think that he would learn everything he could about it's what's important in the operation of that department so he would know if and when he was confirmed that he had all the stuff that he needed to be able to act accordingly and hit the ground on the run the first day he gets there. This guy just tap danced over and over and over again, and Tom Cotton tried to pin him down. Cotton's one of the best, as a matter of fact, and he just could not do it. He couldn't do it. And I mean, in, in that explanation, in response to Tom Cotton, this guy said everything he could to dance around not answering the questions. For me personally, what that means is the person wants to not be caught with the opinions that they have previously expressed elsewhere that would make them not eligible to be confirmed to whatever position it is they're seeking and they've been nominated to fill. I just keep going back to this thing, this thought. This administration is not working for the people. They're not working for our bosses. People in this administration are working for Joe Biden and whoever else is helping him run the government. And it's not the American people. They thumb their noses even way before the election of 2020. They thumb their noses at the rule of law. None of that matters anymore. All that matters is getting what we want, putting in place what we want, exacerbating and making it even worse in a lot of ways. And we're using that as political power to extend the reach of our political party and keep it in power permanently in the federal government. And oh, by the way, we only have so much time because it looks like we may lose the House of Representatives in November, so we've got to just bury the American people between now and then because Joe's on top there with an ink pen. He's going to sign anything the House sends over there, and pretty much Nancy can make it work across the aisle, at least enough to get the legislation passed, hopefully get it into law and all those things that they can't get into law. That's no problem. Joe Biden's got a pen. Kamala Harris is going to type him up an executive order for everything. They're just going to bypass Congress again and again and again and do illegal stuff that they don't have constitutional authority to do. And the only thing that can stop them is impeachment, and we can't impeach Joe Biden because Nancy Pelosi controls every piece of whatever's going to be discussed in the House of Representatives, which is where an impeachment has got to begin. So where are we, folks? Well, I'm in North Louisiana. I'm in my studio talking to you. And today, just like yesterday and the day before, I'm feeling like our nation is in trouble. I'm pretty sure we're in trouble. Jordan Peterson, do you know him? Coming up in probably 20 or 30 minutes, I'm going to pay an audio that Jordan Peterson put out about that very thing. We're in a lot of trouble. We're in a bad place. But what we've got to do as Americans, we've got to hold on. We've got to resist the temptation to just go into the tank and begin living in the oh me, what am I going to do mode. 
Because if we ever go there, it's hard to get out. And to get there, what you must do to get in the tank that far, what you got to do to get in there is just think there's no hope. There is hope, folks. We do have hope. All of us. And so I say to you, don't you give up. Don't ever give up. Jim Valvano, remember him? Basketball coach that had terminal cancer. That was his favorite saying. Don't give up. Don't you ever give up. Dan's saying the exact same thing to you today. It's tough. Nobody's saying it's not tough. It is tough. But we got to do it, folks. We have to just stick our noses in there. Whatever is in front of us, be it good or bad, we got to handle it. And turning and running away from it is doing something, but it's not handling the issue. And if you ever turn around and come back to where you were, it'll be still right in front of you. One of the problems in our personal family, and I'll probably get hacked for saying this on the air. I've said it before. One of the traits in my wife's family and her family before marrying me and then our kids, one of their traits is they don't want to talk about issues. They don't like that. They don't like to have bad conversations. They don't like for people to be upset or hurt. So what what do they automatically do? They bury it. Ah, we're not going to talk about it. And so if you don't talk about it, you don't have to come up with answers. You don't have to come up with solutions simply because it doesn't matter. You're not going to talk about it. Well, you and I both know that doesn't do anything good. It doesn't help anything, and it certainly doesn't change anything other than people go into the tank. And you cannot keep those kinds of things in your heart, in your mind, without them coming out sometime. It may be screaming at your spouse or your kids or making a bad decision at the office about something or somebody. It can come out in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it can even come out in violent actions. And it does pretty much far more than we want to. But it happens every once in a while. Here's what I suggest. Anytime you have a problem, you get to that point where you're about to tip over. Find somebody, somebody you know and love, somebody that knows you, and they know the circumstances you're dealing with. And get in front of them and just have a back and forth. Get it off your chest. It's amazing how that will help you. And anyway, sharing those things with somebody that you know, love, and trust, you may get some feedback that points you in the right direction. And wouldn't it be better to get it, whatever it is, instead of burying it, not talking about it, talk about it, find whatever possibilities there are to eliminate the problem there, institute the action to take care of the issue if you if you at all can do anything and put it behind you. Sometimes you can't get resolution, especially with conflicts with others. Why is that? Sometimes they're not going to get on the same page. But what you can do is at least say this and say it directly to your foe, even if your foe's not flesh and blood. Say it to them. 
hey, I'm not going to convert you to my thoughts on the issue. You're not going to convert me. But what we can do and need to do and what I'm willing to do is just cut it off right here and say, we're just going to agree to disagree. You may not reach the maximum effectiveness that you wanted to meet. But you'll have a uh, maybe a temporary place to pause and stop throwing bombs at each other. Even if it's just a little better, folks, it's better. And I think we all want that. Now let's get around to the Biden family syndicate. Jesse Waters, one of my favorite people at Fox News. Um, the timing for a show is not good for me. It's not good for some people. He's on in the afternoons, late afternoons, early evenings. He's on right before Tucker Carlson. But he did a, uh, I don't know if you would call it a soliloquy, a, a special, but obviously his research department did some exhaustive research to bring us up to date on the latest stuff in the Biden corruption cases. Hunter, how that impacts this president. And I thought it was very good. There's a lot in this that we can learn from about what's going on in this family, this presidential family, and what happens in every presidential administration, how and why these things happen. Here's Jesse Waters. Corruption doesn't just happen overnight in Washington. It takes years of lying, backstabbing, and hanging out with some of the shadiest people in town. And if you have your eyes set on gold, like the White House, that's just the bare minimum. But don't take our word for it. Listen to what a young senator out of Delaware had to say in the early 1970s. Well, I'm not sure you should assume I'm not corrupt, but I thank you for that, though. The system does produce corruption, and in, I think implicit in the system is corruption, when in fact, whether or not you can run for public office, and it costs a great deal of money to run for the United States Senate, even from a small state like Delaware, uh, you have to go to those people who have money. And they always want something. And almost five decades later, that young senator went on to become the most powerful man in Washington. And he may as well be the most corrupt, too. Because if your last name is Biden, you learn a thing or two about corruption growing up. Especially when you're the son of the sleaziest used car salesman in Scranton. <laughs> and your dad was cashing in side checks from the most corrupt union group in the state. The Biden household has always been about making a quick buck. Over the years, as power grew, so did the money. It really all kicked off in 2013, when the Biden family business picked up steam after Vice President Biden boarded on to Air Force Two destined for Beijing, China. Alongside him was the smartest man he knew, his son, Hunter, who was on the trip strictly for business that day he was about to start up the Biden family global affair. And what better time to launch it than when you have the vice president of the United States ready at your disposal? Hunter, being the opportunist that he is, set up an introduction between his dad, the vice president, and a shady Chinese businessman named Jonathan Lee in a Chinese hotel lobby. That meeting was as sweet as apple pie. The two shook hands, and it was later described as a good social meeting. And the reward was even better. Just like that, the Biden family was offered a $20 million fortune 10 years later. A full 
10% stake in a Chinese finance company directly backed by the Communist Party. And to sweeten the deal, Hunter got to sit on their board and play businessman. But the best part of it, the Bidens finally had some street cred in China. No better time to milk dirty Chinese money than when Joe had some bills to pay and Hunter had a crack addiction to fund. So in 2015, the Bidens began cashing in checks from a giant Chinese energy conglomerate that serves as the arm of the Communist Party's Belt and Road Initiative, a direct national security threat to the United States. It wasn't just Hunter. Even Joe's own brother, Jim, got involved. The two of them raked in almost $5 million from these Chinese oligarchs, most of it from consulting fees. It didn't take a genius to realize these guys reeked of corruption. One of the company's top dogs, a guy by the name of Patrick Ho, was put under FISA surveillance by the United States intelligence arm for bribing African leaders and helping Iran evade U.S. sanctions. Seriously. But Hunter actually saw some more dollar signs out of it. He flaunted his Yale Law degree and somehow got the Chinese to pay a million dollars for his legal services. They even gave him a three-carat diamond. Big rock. Now, the guy ended up in jail because, well, Hunter's no criminal attorney. They didn't know that, but hey, Hunter got a quick million. That's what Bidens do. The Biden family business was booming in China, and Joe couldn't help but get directly involved. When scheming up a joint Chinese company, emails show they were openly talking about cutting 10% of the deal for the big guy. If there was ever any doubt as to who the big guy is, Hunter's former business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, made it clear for us. It has 10% for the big guy held by H. I 1,000% sit here and know that the big guy is referencing Joe Biden. Um, it's, that's crystal clear to me because I lived it. I met with the former vice president in person multiple times. Joe told us he never once talked to his son about his deals. Well, I guess he's just a lying dog-faced pony soldier then. He was actually bankrolling cash from China, all while he was VP. Guess it paid off. The Bidens earned at least $31 million in Chinese money. And soon enough, the Biden family business expanded all over the globe. Hunter was reeling in clients, and Joe was closing deals with one-on-one -on -one meetings. Obviously, Hunter didn't read the art of the deal, but he did know that meeting the vice president went a long way for these guys. So he was setting up meetings between his dad and sketchy foreigners right in Washington at the glorious Cafe Milano. Like meeting some sketchy businessmen from Kazakhstan. There's even pictures of it. Or meeting the wife of a Russian oligarch right before she handed the Biden family a $3.5 million paycheck. And probably the best deal of them all when Joe met an executive from a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma. We know this because he wrote Hunter an email saying, thank you for inviting me to DC to meet and spend some time with your father. <laughs> and guess what? At the time, Burisma was paying Hunter up to $83,000 a month just to sit on the board. And when the owner of Burisma got wrapped up in a federal investigation in Ukraine, the case was quietly dropped around the same time Joe was demanding it be dismissed. What did Biden have to do with the Ukrainian energy corruption case? Well, now we know. 
You see, corruption in Washington goes a long way. A lot of money flows in if you just meet the shadiest people you can find. Around the globe, there's always a sketchy billionaire who wants to blow money on the most powerful family in Washington. And if you're a Biden, you do what Bidens do best. You take the bait and rake in that pretty penny. Or better yet, you take in millions of dollars and you don't ever look back. The Biden family syndicate, it's in full force today. And it's being exposed a little bit more every day or two, right? Interesting, isn't it? If you look back in your rearview mirror, there are several families in recent history in government in D.C. that were very corrupt and at least so far pretty much go unscathed. What about the Clinton family? Ah, there's still trouble brewing out there. What about the Obama family? He's been bulletproof basically so far, but every now and then we get a little look-see into something deep and dark in the past of Barack Obama. And then, of course, here we come today to the Biden family and even the extended family. And there's no question they've done some very unethical things. Hunter Biden has done a bunch of very visible and illegal things. But so far, just like the Clintons, the Biden family's been bulletproof. And then look at Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, the most powerful person in Congress, Nancy Pelosi, and what she's been able to do in a very unethical manner, so much so that there's a rule that was made in the House of Representatives called the Pelosi Rule regarding buying stock based upon information behind the scenes that is actually illegal. And these members of Congress, they're the ones that make their own rules. Why don't they just go ahead and say it? If you want to serve in Congress, you've got to divest yourself of any outside businesses, period. If you're going to work for the American people, you're going to work for the American people or you're not going to come here. And of course, they won't do that. You know why? They know when they get there. Hey, hey, hey. Being in the United States Congress is being part of the money tree. I came here a middle-class American or maybe a lower upper-class American, but what I know is before I leave this zip code, I'm going to have a ton of money in my pocket and much, much more in secret accounts, and I'm going to be really, really well off for the entirety of my life. Most every member of Congress can say that. You know why? Because it's true. It's true. They're out there just blowing it away, folks. Making money, hand over fist. And here we are sitting in the trenches doing our best. And we can't even afford the groceries that we bought 60 days ago because they've gone up in many cases 50%. We can't go on vacations this summer because the price of gas under this president has doubled. We always went to, in our case, Destin, Florida. We can't go there anymore because it's three tanks of gas to get there and three to get home. That means it's just like now, 
needing 12 tanks of all of gasoline because the price has doubled. It's just one thing after another. But you know what? The Biden family syndicate, Clinton family syndicate, they're doing really darn well. And they put a bunch of money in the bank. They're going to the mailbox to get money. It's called mailbox money. And that's when you get involved in deals that you're not working for them. You did something, you connected people, you gave them a way in. They got in and they owe you. And so they're paying you month after month after month. So all you got to do is go to the mailbox to get your money. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. In what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita. What them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Let me ask you this. Is it too early to start thinking about the 2024 election? Of course, there'll be a congressional election that goes along with the presidential election, but of course, everybody's going to be thinking about the presidential election coming up. I don't think it's too early to start thinking about it. So I thought we would uh, we'd drop a little seed on you to get you to start thinking ahead. Right now, looking at who might run for the Democrat nomination to be president, 
even if Joe Biden decides to run again, I got to be honest with you, I find it difficult to believe that the Democrat Party would back him if he ran for re-election, unless something changes drastically between now and, I guess, in the next year and a half, when it really gets serious about campaigning for a presidential nomination. So I looked around the nation. Who else might be there right now in the Democrat Party? Who are the people that might would be the most likely to step up to replace Joe Biden? And I came up with five. Of course, there's Vice President Harris. She tops the rankings as she would instantly beating the number one contender to win that nomination if Biden decided to end his political career. She has the visibility at the White House and the name recognition, although that's not always good, and could give Democrats another chance at breaking that vaunted glass ceiling by becoming the first woman to be elected president. But Harris isn't a sure bet. I don't even know if she could win the nomination, yet alone win an election. She's been tripped up by a bunch of negative headlines since she assumed the role of VP. Her poll numbers have taken a massive hit. An L.A. Times analyst of national polls this month shows Harris underwater with a 40% approval rating, kind of like her running mate was and is. In fact, she's a few points higher than Joe. She's fallen short of expectations. That's what one Democrat strategist said about her. So if Biden decides not to run, I don't think she has a lock on the nomination. She'll have some viable competitors in 2024. Some Democrats point out that while her 2020 campaign started strong, it petered out when she ran into fundraising trouble and was unsuccessful in communicating a message for why she was the best candidate in a crowded field. So I've got her up at the top, but I don't think there's a big chance for her. I really don't. And then there's Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. He's Secretary of Transportation. He surprised the Democrat establishment and political observers back in 2020 with his come-out-of-nowhere campaign. Former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he's a virtual stranger to most Democrats around the nation. He managed to win the Iowa caucuses, defeating a field of better-known candidates. He then came close to winning the New Hampshire primary. So he's out there, and there are people that know him that like him, and they kind of like the idea of him being the guy in the White House. Buttigieg has continued to make a name for himself, touring the country to tout Biden's infrastructure projects and visiting Queen swing states, including Iowa, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, and Ohio. Democrat strategists say he would be well-positioned for a run in 24. Still, even as a cabinet secretary, some still wonder if he has enough political chops to make the leave to the Oval Office. And then there's Elizabeth Warren. She's run before. And she maintained strong support from progressives recently revved up the base when in the days following that leaked draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade, she went to the Supreme Court and joined protesters outside. I don't think that makes her a candidate to be president, but somebody else might. Videos of her railing against the potential decision went viral. She then wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. In it, she instructed on how Democrats could avoid disaster 
in the upcoming midterm elections. She said she has no plans to run for president. I'm not running for president in 2024. I'm running for Senate, she said. Last month, she said that'll meet the press. President Biden is running for re-election in 2024, and I'm supporting him. But if Biden doesn't run, Warren would instantly vault into contention and her plans would be likely to change. So who else is left out there? Well, there are a couple of more in our opinion. Bernie Sanders, for one. Very few Democrats think Sanders is going to run for president again. But last month, he put himself back in the conversation when his aide circulated a memo revealing that he wasn't saying no to a third presidential bid. Senator Sanders, they said, has not ruled out another run for president, so we advise that you answer any questions about 2024 with that in mind. That was part of a memo that was sent out by one of Biden's aides, excuse me, Sanders' aides. Bernie, who was seen as the patriarch of the progressive movement, has also penned an opinion piece for Fox News, believe it or not, calling for Medicare for all. But like Biden, Sanders' age, he's 80 years old, could cause potential problems for him should he choose to run again. So I told you we had five. And in my opinion, the last one is the least likely, but got to be honest with you, when you get to four and you're looking for a fifth that might be a candidate for the Democrat nomination, that field is pretty slim. At the bottom of the list, Amy Klobuchar. The Minnesota senator didn't do very well in the 2020 bid for the presidency, but if Biden doesn't run, Klobuchar could benefit receiving support from moderate Dems. When she traveled to New Hampshire earlier this year to give a keynote address to state Democrats, political observers couldn't help but think she was quietly building the groundwork for another run at the White House. It was one of the very first signs that some folks had started to eye for the next election, one strategist said, because few people think Biden is going to run again, and very few people think if he does run, he's going to be likely to win. And speaking of elections, you're not going to believe what happened. But there's voter fraud that has been unearthed in California. Oh, my gosh. California, one of the bastions of democratic government in the United States, right? But this is a state, a local election voter fraud issue. It happened in Compton, California. And the city council there has been overturned due to the discovery of election fraud in a very close race in which the winning candidate has been charged with voter fraud and bribery. City Council Member Isaac Galvin, who appeared to win his seat by a very slim margin, it was pretty slim, one vote. He was arrested last year along with five others and charged with conspiracy to commit election fraud. He's going to be replaced by his challenger, Andre Spicer, after a judge ruled last week that four of the votes in the election were invalid because they were cast by people who didn't live in the district. Man, I'd like to see that investigation happen across the nation. (laughs) California obviously got it right. At least the judge did. Yesterday, the Los Angeles Times reported two-term councilman Isaac Galvin must be replaced 
by his challenger, Andre Spicer, after a judge determined that four of the votes cast in the election were submitted by people who don't live in the, in the district that the two men were vying to represent. After a contentious primary, Galvin and Spicer advanced to a runoff in June, which Galvin won 855 to 854, one vote. With the four illegal ballots disqualified, court ruled that Spicer was the rightful winner of the election by a tally of 854 to 851. Prosecutors, they say that Galvin conspired with primary opponent Jake Dawson to direct voters from outside the council district to cast ballots for Galvin in the June runoff against Spicer. Galvin was also accused of trying to bribe an elections official with concert tickets. The official immediately reported the attempt, according to Dean Logan, the county's top elected official. Voter fraud is rare, but it does happen. If you don't think so, just write or listen to or go see the new voter fraud movie that's out there. It's incredibly revealing. We've talked about it ad nauseum here on this show. Now, Biden's made it very clear. He, um, he shouldn't be held responsible for the shortage on the baby f- food formula. Why is that? Well, he's annoyed. He says he wasn't alerted sooner, soon enough about the baby formula shortage and that he got his very first briefing in the past month. Do you believe that? I don't. The crisis had long been in the making. In fact, we were told and we reported to you that one of the CEOs of one of the big baby formula production companies reached out to the White House in July telling them, look for a baby formula shortage. That's back in last July. Here we are almost a year later. And he's saying the first he heard about it was last month. Now, the White House didn't specify when Biden got his first briefing on the formula shortage. He said last month. His nominee to head the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Robert Califf, told Congress last week that the agency was sluggish and that it had made suboptimal decisions as parents hunted for formula on empty store shelves. And I've, I've, I've got something of an answer. I want you to think about something, a critical thing, very important. Facts are facts. And so when you're looking for facts, sometimes you find some things that you just need to go, hmm. And here's one for you to contemplate. You know, we never had before a baby formula shortage. We never did. What and when and why did it begin? We never had a baby formula shortage until men started getting pregnant. Think about it. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze, do you have a barbecue or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Ah! 
Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. You know, that's a really good song, that Infiniti commercial. But it just hurts my ears when I hear it. And guess what? That's one of the things that makes it be a good commercial, is because people pay attention to it. Huh. Bet you never thought about that couple of other things we've got to get into before we lose the show today. Gosh, we're inside half hour. The Biden administration have made it very clear they're going to continue exempting a number of China-made medical products from U.S. tariffs, even as the Chinese coronavirus crisis exposed the nation's over-reliance, our nation's over-reliance on foreign countries for vital supplies. Here's the most important thing regarding all of this, the shortages and everything. We need to move all of the manufacturing of all of the things we need, especially those that are critical to our infrastructure. We need to produce all of that in the United States and stop this mess of relying on these foreign countries to provide this stuff for us. Late last week, the Biden administration announced certain medical products made in China would continue to be exempted from U.S. tariffs. The tariff exclusion would have ended at the end of May, but now they're going to be in place until at least the end of November. End of November. Why that? Why that? Why that? Election in November, right? The announcement means the Biden administration will allow China-made surgical gloves, face masks, hospital gowns, and medical devices to be sold here free of any kind of tariff. Decades-long U.S. free trade with China, which continues gutting America's working and middle-class communities, has ensured that the American economy relies on China and many other foreign countries for key supplies in medicine, technology, minerals, and other industries. Example, in 2020, The U.S. imported nearly $300 million worth of hospital and sanitary supplies that were made of paper, about 51% of which was made in China. Likewise, in 2020, the U.S. imported $470 million worth of rubber surgical gloves. More than 70% of those gloves arrived from Thailand and Malaysia, while over 15% were imported from China. It mentioned Malaysia. I've personally been in a production a production facility 
in Malaysia where they're making those gloves. They make them dirt cheap. That's the reason they're being made there. Also in 2020, we imported $7 million worth of clothing and accessories made of paper, including paper face masks that were used in the midst of the pandemic, continue to be used by medical professionals in hospital settings. Nearly 60% of those imports were made in China. Now, let me just say this. We have the technical knowledge and ability to short the process of making every one of these things and all the others that we import. If our government will only make a commitment to allow it to happen, instead of getting and allowing China to have stuff on us so that they can cut us off, and even the threat of cutting us off would mean we got to keep doing whatever we allow them to do. Joe Biden has not done any kind of leadership regarding our manufacturing import-export relationship with China. We, he just hasn't done it. And everything that he does do, it leans in their favor. Now, why would any president do that? Why would Joe Biden do it? Well, I don't think it's a across-the-board presidential thing. I personally think there's some personal reasons why Joe Biden is doing this and why he wants to keep those tariffs on. It's because he has an obligation to the Chinese government. I'm positive of that. What is that obligation? I have no idea. But if this guy as president of the United States really believed that the United States is losing its touch in foreign countries and it's losing its supremacy and leadership in foreign countries, and these countries are taking advantage of the American people, taxpayers, and just everyday people by forcing us to take this stuff and pay what they charge us when they send it, and we have no other options. It's, it's called power and control. Joe Biden has just opened the door and said, y'all come on in to Xi Jinping and the Chinese government. He's done it over and over and over again. Could have something, I'm just saying I don't know for sure, could have something to do with that amazing investment deals abundant that Hunter Biden put in place while Joe Biden was vice president under Barack Obama. And he sat beside his dad on Air Force Two multiple times going to China to negotiate with Chinese Communist Party-owned companies a billion and a half dollars in investment funds for Hunter Biden's company. That investment company that had never been in the investment business nor had Hunter Biden. He officially, as far as vocation, is an attorney. Now, why why would you think that what my assertion is, is not true. Do you have any basis to agree that the president's okay in what he's doing? The experts don't, and guess what? The experts aren't willing to say so because they don't want to be tagged. They don't want to be in the government's bullseye. 
And to be quite honest with you, the way it has happened so far with Merrick Garland as the Attorney General, it's almost just like Eric Holder when he was Attorney General for Barack Obama. When the President says anything, the Attorney General is just a lapdog that just jumps off the lap of the President and go does whatever they're told to do. That's not government of the people, by the people, or for the people, and that's what it's got to be. Congress, get it back there. And there's another big faux pas going on. Yesterday, Biden said that the United States is not going to send rocket systems to Ukraine that could potentially reach into Russia after reports that the administration was preparing to send those long-range systems to the besieged European ally. Multiple outlets had reported that the administration was leaning towards sending advanced low-range rocket systems to Ukraine, which is currently fending off an invasion from Moscow, and to which the U.S. is providing a bunch of economic and military support. President Biden was asked about the potential move by reporters outside the White House, and then he said his administration would not send Ukraine rocket systems that strike into Russia. The Washington Post reportedly said that the administration was mulling providing the multiple launch rocket system, that's called an MLRS, which would allow Ukrainians to fire rockets much further than they are able to today. MLRS has reportedly been a top request from Ukrainian officials who say they need it to stop the advance of Russian forces from the east, which has taken control of the key city of Lehman last week. The Post again reported that the State Department had said the White House has got concerns that providing Ukraine with those missiles could result in a situation in which Ukrainians fire rockets into Russian territory, which would spark a major escalation in the conflict. Officials had reportedly mulled managing the risk by withholding some of the longest-range rockets that are available. Of course, Russia's objected loudly to moves by the West to provide Ukraine with any type of weapons. Putin had spoken to leaders of France and Germany on Saturday, warned against continued transfers of weapons to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia's ambassador to the U.S. has said that any move by Americans to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine would be unacceptable and demanded that Washington does not take such a provocative step. Now, was that a threat to Joe? Was that a message that Putin's ambassador here was sending to Joe Biden? He warned any move by America to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine would be unacceptable and demanded that Washington does not take such a provocative step. So who's handling our State Department? Who's handling our Oval Office? Who's making the decisions there regarding the weapon systems that we were going to send to Ukraine? Apparently, Vladimir Putin's making the decisions for President Biden because Biden backed out. Who's handling the issues in our immigration stuff and uh, our import-export stuff with China. Who's handling for the United States? 
Well, it's obviously the president of the United States who knows hardly anything at all about import-export stuff, but what he does know is about obligation. And for the same reason, I think he's not sending those rockets to Ukraine. I think Joe Biden is not taking those tariffs off all that stuff that we're buying from China because of his obligation to Xi Jinping. Now, let me just end this section, what we're just talking about. Let me just end it and tell you where I am in my heart and my mind about all this. I think, without question, the people that are guiding this nation, especially on the left, I think they are creating a scenario and putting the United States on a track purposely towards uniting governments with other countries and making a government that is over all of them collectively. Whether or not it's over all in the nation, in the world, or whether it's a handful or a couple of handfuls that will be involved, I don't know. I have no idea about all of the inner workings that it would take, but I do know at the World Economic Forum and other meetings at Davos, Switzerland, that always happens in the first quarter of every year. What that is, is get-togethers by some of the most wealthy people on earth. And I mean, when they go there, there's a small airport. Davos is not a big city. I've been to, I've been to it. And it's not a really big airport, but every one of these people fly in in corporate jets, some of them really big corporate jets. And these are the people that are espousing climate change for everybody. We got to get our air uh, air straightened out. We got to stop polluting the air. And they come in these jets that that's exactly what they do. They've been doing those meetings for years and years. Folks, in tomorrow's show, we're going to bring to you probably the most shocking thing that you will hear about the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm not kidding with you. I haven't heard anybody else air what you're going to hear here tomorrow. You want to make sure that you're here tomorrow. And it has to do with this exact thing that we're talking about now. What are we going to do about our gas prices? Biden doesn't have a plan. He's actually kind of giddy about it going up because it feels like somebody convinced him that if we get gasoline, the price of gasoline high enough, everybody's going to be forced to go to electric vehicles. The only problem is we don't have enough electric vehicles and we certainly don't have enough electrical outlets that will handle the fuel that is needed for an electric vehicle if we could get electric vehicles. Let me challenge you to do this in the next few days. Drive if, if your town is like ours, we have two what are so-called auto malls, a, a section where a dealership is side by side and across from each other, pretty much all the brands. We have two of those in the two river cities that face each other, Shreveport and Bossier City, Louisiana. Go drive by your auto malls, if you have one or two, just go take a look and see how many cars they have out on the lot. Or maybe just for fun, if you have a 30 minutes or so, make a few phone calls and ask them, you know, I'm a potential buyer. I'm looking for 
an electric vehicle, can you tell me what you have on your lot? You're going to find out. I'm telling you, new cars are scarce across the nation right now. Why is that? We have a shortage on all of the inner workings that are necessary for cars. Some of it's due to coronavirus. A bunch of it is due to poor planning by government here. This administration just dropped the ball in many, many ways. We talked about gasoline and we talked about diesel. What's at fault and who's responsible and why did any of this happen? Well, guess what? We haven't built a major petroleum refinery since 1977. Did you know that? Major refinery operators have largely opted to just to upgrade their facilities rather than build new greenfield plants because of the projected fuel demand decline in coming years and lengthy regulatory process required for building these refineries. There have been 14 small, small refineries, each processing 4,100 to 46,000 barrels of oil a day, constructed since Marathon Oil opened its 200,000-barrel-per-day facility in Garyville, Louisiana, back in 1977. The COVID pandemic really drove down gas and diesel demand, which accelerated some things that were already happening. That's from Jeff Moody, the Vice President of Government Relations at the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. There was already some contraction happening in the industry as a result of projected declines in U.S. gas demand into the future and companies just deciding the assets were better used as other projects or shut down completely. Some of it has been very policy-driven and companies decided it wasn't worth it to keep operating those assets. The U.S. and other Western nations They've accelerated plans for a global green transition away from fossil fuels even as prices have skyrocketed to record levels this year. Let me challenge you, anybody. What is Joe Biden's plan? A transition away from fossil fuels to go globally green in the United States. What's the plan? He doesn't have one. They don't have it. The squad, AOC and gang, they don't have a plan. All they want to do is kill the fossil fuel industry and force people in the United States to pay more and more and more and more. You know who's getting hurt the most by this? The supply chain issue, the cost of gasoline going up, the cost of everything else going up. It's lower to middle class people the people that Democrats are supposed to be all in for, taking care of them. They're not doing that. I think that even Democrats had no idea how much harm Joe Biden could do and how he could do it so quickly. I don't think anybody thought that it could possibly happen as quickly as it has happened. But I think you got to agree. <laughs> it happened. We're in the middle of it. We're way past where I thought we could ever be at this particular point. And it just kills me to think that we've got two and a half more years with Joe Biden as president, maybe more if he gets reelected. 
Hey, listen, don't forget, I told you tomorrow on the show, we are going to let you hear from a very heavyweight tycoon telling us what part of the plan is by the so-called globalist and how far along that quest they are. Don't you dare miss it. You guys have a great Tuesday. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m., right here every day, Monday through Friday. So long. Sorrow's sleep.